0: You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: Hello, Heat Nation. I'm David Romillo, credential reporter and the host of Locked On Heat, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Please make sure to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. To get the latest episode, I'll be talking with Ty Windish, host of the Eurostep, to give his perspective on the Game 1 victory over the Milwaukee Bucks. Here, without further ado, is Ty Windish. How are you doing, my friend? Uh,
0: been better. I think uh, as, a, as a Bucks watcher recording the day after that
1: game won against Miami, I, I've been better, David. How are you? Uh, you know, it's been pretty optimistic, a little too optimistic for my taste. I, I think Heat fans are starting to get a little cocky, and it's certainly a result of the us-versus-them mentality that was forged in 2010. And the fact that, of course, the big three era led to some incredible championship success and that Pat Riley has certainly created an atmosphere that whenever there is a superstar available, there's always going to, they're always going to be in the room to try and lure that superstar to Miami. So I know that's something that you and I have talked about in the past. No need to rehash that. Although, of course, Adetokounmpo is always going to be on Miami's radar because he is likely to be a two-time MVP. But let's talk a little bit about game one. Uh you know, it's, I'm sure it's been a little difficult for you. It was a a great performance from Jimmy Butler, not such a great performance from Giannis Adetokounmpo. And I want to start off there because he's taking a lot of grief, it seems for his lack of aggression. He's also taking some grief from former NBA players, challenging why he wasn't defending Jimmy Butler at the end of the game when Jimmy went off for most of his 40 points. I didn't take that I didn't take that his game was particularly passive. He did take only 12 shots. He also finished with nine assists. So he was being forced into a playmaker role, but I kind of want to get your take on Yanni's game and, and what you thought overall, as far as Miami's defense and what they did to try and limit him.
0: Yeah. I, I don't think he was as passive as people are saying. And in the Jimmy Butler thing, I mean, we'll get to, I'm sure we'll do a coaching thing later. Cause I think, it's hard to go too far into this game or the bucks in the playoffs in general, without talking about Milwaukee's coaching to, to a certain extent. But as you said, he attempts 12 shots. He also has 12 free throw attempts. And I think at most, probably two of those were and one. So I'm probably four to five, um, you know, shooting foul possessions as well, plus the nine assists. And of course, you know, he's, he had more passes that led to shots than just the nine that were made shots. So, yeah, I don't think he was overly passive. I just th- I think the way he attacked Miami's defense was flawed. I mean, we saw the Heat committing to build that wall that the Raptors built so well last year. And when he wasn't passing out of it, too many of the attempts against that wall were the straight line drives that I hate so much, where basically it's just Giannis somewhere between the elbows outside of the three-point line, just trying to drive through that line. And it's just really hard to do. I mean, it's really hard to do. I mean, I, I don't think Jay Crowder should be able to guard Giannis as well as he did in this game. He did a great job. The help defenders did a great job, especially Andre Iguodala, who is just so great with his hands and swiping and knocking the ball out below the basket. But Giannis made it too easy for the Heat. You know, the Bucks need to mix in more dribble handoffs. They only really seem to do that with Kyle Corver, and those just all turn into Kyle Corver running to the side and putting up a bad shot. They didn't do enough actions with Chris or with George Hill. Although they tried late and it was just really brutal execution on some of the Giannis Hill actions in the fourth quarter. So basically, I I just, it wasn't that he wasn't aggressive enough. I don't think the approach was smart enough in trying to get him. You got to get Giannis moving against a team like this. He's not going to be able to just beat them over and over by himself. He
1: tried to do that too much and it did not work out. So that's the adjustment then. Aside from him obviously making some more of those free throws, which where where would you expect him to be on a good shooting night from the line? About 60%, 70% or so?
0: Yeah, I'd say like 65-ish
1: is what I would expect as a baseline. So yeah, this was particularly rough. Right. Um, and, and no reason for it, considering that there's no home or away crowd there and anything else. It just it seemed like maybe he was a little bit into his head. I, I mean, I know that's projecting a little bit and, and trying to think exactly what – was going through his mind at the time. But clearly he seemed a little off, at least from the line. So aside from the shooting then, the next adjustment for Milwaukee is to try and get some more of those off-ball actions to free up Giannis so he has a better look at the basket. Is that on Kumpel? Is that on Budenholzer? I mean, where do you lie in that? I know you you kind of got into it a little bit on Twitter. Not necessarily attacking Budenholzer, but I think fairly criticizing his lack of creativity. Is that mostly on Bud, in your opinion? I think it's a little bit of
0: column A, a little bit of column B. I mean, I think the issue is, I think it's really hard. Like, Giannis wanting the ball more. Like, I don't know if anybody wants to run as the role man more in pick and roll, right? Like, I don't think that's not really something that star players try to call their number for. And I think it's kind I of don't, – I don't know. I just it's, – it's not – like, we usually see post players who should use – like the pick and roll more like Dwight Howard years ago, he wanted more post-ups like nobody, I think wants to run as the roll man, which I think is where the bucks need to use Giannis more. Cause he's fairly unstoppable as such. So I, I don't want to say, especially if he's being him. guarded
1: by Crowder too, who's like five exactly. inches shorter than him. So.
0: Exactly. I mean, just like people say like, Oh, teams will just switch or, or drop. or I mean, you can't drop if it's Chris, but they'll just switch or whatever. And even if they do that, I mean, just getting Giannis moving toward the rim, just getting that extra little bit of separation, a little bit of space, it's all he really needs to get to get moving and explode to the basket. And they just really didn't do it at all. I think Nikaias Duncan shared um, through second spectrum, they ran one Chris Giannis pick and roll in the entire third quarter. Not sure how much they did it in the fourth quarter, but it's just not enough. I mean, that's their play. That's their go-to play. And Miami just... I, I, the Heat were probably surprised they didn't have to deal with it more, quite honestly. Um, so, yeah, I think that's going to be the biggest adjustment. I would say it's mostly on Budenholzer because I think Giannis said after the game the Jimmy Butler de- defending controversy that's happening right now, um, Giannis catching a lot of heat for it. But he says in that quote, uh, why, after the why, you, why would you ask me that, that people are picking apart right now, including Richard Jefferson, he then goes, when he's asked if he would, he says, I'll do whatever coach tells me to do. So, I don't think Giannis was ducking Jimmy Butler on the one end. I don't think he was, you know, I don't think he's diagramming the offense himself on the other end. I think he is largely doing what he's told. You can blame him for maybe not diverging from that script more, but I think at the end of the day, the accountability goes to the one calling the plays and calling the shots. And I, I believe that's Mike Budenholzer. I can't say with absolute certainty, but that's my read on it.
1: Well, I'm glad you you brought up the controversy because that seems to be a lot where nba twitter is heading today and there was a piece on the athletic that kind of touched on it as well if i'm not mistaken And, and it does refer to a i think it was a question being asked by eric I want to say Nem or Neem. I'm not Nem. sure how it's Nem. Okay. Eric Nem of The Athletic asked why he wasn't guarding Jimmy Butler in the fourth quarter in particular. And as you specified, that was out of the answer. Richard Jefferson has been critical. Other people on, on the NBA Twitter sphere have been critical as well. Can you shed some light? Cause I'm sure my listeners probably aren't quite clear. I, I think, I think the easy perspective is to say, well, you know, Giannis is a great defender, and as such, he should probably want that individual matchup against Jimmy Butler, but it's not so cut and dry, so please clarify for my listeners if you can.
0: Yeah, I don't know if it's the right or the wrong thing to do. Probably they're wrong to an extent, um, but Giannis is always used as like a free safety, basically on, on defense, like the ultimate help defender. Um, I mean, I, the, the series that always comes up, because I think it's the most relevant point of context for like an intense playoff series from Milwaukee that poses real issues is that Eastern conference finals from last year. And like the big switch made in that series that helped turn it around was Kawhi taking the Giannis assignment. Pascal Siakam just was unable to do it still is. Um, and so Kawhi was tasked with doing so. And it really slowed down Milwaukee. The Bucks never made the same adjustment on the other side. They, they never put Giannis on Kawhi for long stretches he would pick him up from time to time in transition or on a switch or something. Um, but the bucks did not seek out to use Giannis as a primary defender. Is that because he cannot do that? No, I, I don't think so at all. I think part of it is foul trouble. I think part of it is there's a genuine belief that he's most useful, just kind of helping. But as you saw, if you watched the end of that game, which I'm sure last night's game, which I'm sure pretty much everyone listening did or Monday night's game, excuse me. Um, he wasn't helpful at all against any of those Jimmy Butler possessions because if you pull up or or even go directly to the rim on the other side away from Giannis, there's not really anything he can do, and he just really stood there and, and watched Jimmy Butler while you know sagging off of Jay Crowder to help, but without any passes or any actions heading over to that other side of the court, there wasn't anything for him to help with. So that's how the Bucks always do things. This was not like Giannis refusing to guard Jimmy Butler by any means. That's just the way Milwaukee plays it. it honestly not to hijack your episode here. It was more inexplicable that Wesley Matthews was not on the floor guarding Jimmy <laughs> Butler. Wes did a terrific job on Jimmy in the first half. He plays less than nine minutes in the entire second half, less than three minutes in the pivotal fourth quarter. I think Chris gave up six for seven field uh, field, field goal shooting to Jimmy. If I could talk on podcasts, it would help. Uh, Wes was much, much better than that earlier. Jimmy, uh, Chris just did not really have any answers for Butler I don't know if Wes would have either. I mean, Jimmy just made a ton of really tough shots as well, but who knows? It might have made a difference. He did a great job all season on guys like that and that game on Jimmy. Really weird decision to not even have him on the floor, but that was the defensive assignment that irked me, not, not Giannis not getting or not getting the coverage.
1: All right, that's a a good transition point. We'll take that up in the next segment. We'll talk a little bit about Wes Matthews, Chris Middleton's overall game. I think a strong performance from him, as well as some of the positives from the Miami side, because I'm sure there were a couple that stood out to you. I'm here with Ty Windish of the Eurostep, and you're listening to Locked on Heat. Ty, try the best tasting protein bar that I've ever had. It is amazing. There are 16 different flavors, six new flavors, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia. If you've never had a protein bar, Built Bar is the one for you because again, they're great for you. They're low fat, low sugar. They're great for keto diets. They're great for maintaining weight or losing weight. And, and just it's easy to grab a snack on the go, especially during these times. I found that Built Bars have been so convenient. They're 100% covered in chocolate and soft and easy to chew. They're not like any protein bar you've ever had. And right now, my listeners can go to builtbar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON and get $10 off their next order. Again, if you go to BiltBar.com, Use a promo code locked on and you'll get $10 off your next order of builtbar.com. You won't regret it. Make sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite app to listen to podcasts and always get the latest episode by asking your smart device to play locked on heat when you get in your car to get your team every day. Well, Ty, we were kind of hinting at it before the break a little bit about uh, Wes Matthews not being there in the fourth quarter. Has Was Bo- uh, Budenholzer asked why that was the case? Has he shed any light as to his rotation uh, decisions and, and why Matthews wasn't out there in cl- key situations?
0: I haven't seen anything
1: about it just quite yet. I mean, I, I've been,
0: I looked a little bit last night just for quotes because on, on Eurostep right after the game, the one thing I kept saying was, well, maybe he tweaked something. I mean, he had, I believe, either a quad or hamstring. Not not anything super serious, but he slipped in a game against Toronto, I think on the Monday the Monday of the last week of the seeding games. And he, he kind of missed that last week heading into the Orlando series. But he's played since then. So I, I didn't know if something had acted up. It doesn't seem like that was the case. It doesn't seem like there was any sort of an injury. So I'm not sure we really have like a – specific reason why he didn't play outside of just the matchup but it certainly felt very very strange especially considering in addition to the defensive success he was having he was two for three from deep and really operating well in the corners I mean when you say again to prevent Giannis from doing those drives it does give up the corners that's one of the few areas the Bucks were finding some success on the floor offensively and Wes was doing a great job Giannis was finding him pretty well with the ball in his hands and very strange uh, to not play him at all in the fourth quarter, but that's uh, that's what happened.
1: Who was the fifth man in that rotation? Was it Marvin? It was Pat Condon. It Pat wasn't Condon, Marvin was Williams
0: who also played well.
1: Yeah, that, that, that doesn't I, – I can't seem to make any sense of that. Um, I, I mean, I don't know what to say. I, I don't think uh and addressed it in last night's media session. I did not get to it. Um, I, it's interesting because one of the things that I, I think was a key – not necessarily a problem for Miami, but uh, something that stood out was Duncan Robinson, who I considered to be a, a potential dangerous threat in this series. He was completely wiped out. Uh, I think Matthews did a good job of staying with him a lot of the time, but I think Middleton also spent some time defending him. Is that correct from your re- re- recollection?
0: Yeah, Chris Chris did a really good job on him, and I think maybe some of the reason Chris had a pretty bad second half. I yes. also think he, just, he wasn't have, uh, aggressive enough driving with the ball. A lot of I think if not all of his first half points came on a little bit of post-up stuff, which is good, but just a lot of like straight up, you know, jump shots, like fadeaway jumpers, and he yeah. drew no free throws in the entire game, which is kind of an issue. I mean, a player who's gonna have the ball in his hands that much for the Bucks, he has some issues with his handle that he is able to take advantage of sometimes, but still he's gonna need to drive to the rim a little bit more, draw some contact. So I, I think part of the reason he might have faded in the second half was just how much energy he spent you know, always sticking with Duncan Robinson, but that's certainly an emphasis for the Bucks to to take Robinson away because he can be basically an offense in in himself when he gets going. So yeah. I, I don't know if we're going to see too much change about that matchup, and maybe somebody else picks him up for a while. But uh yeah, that you are correct, and Chris picked him up a lot in the first half. West was usually on Jimmy Butler.
1: Yeah, three of ten in the second half for Middleton, nine of fourteen in the first half. Uh, most of his twenty-one, I think, of his first. Uh, of his 28 points were scored in the first half so clearly a a big drop off there maybe some due to lack of aggression but also it, it he did look tired i think a number of players actually looked like they were pretty gassed toward that second half and for whatever reason butler just seemed to have another level to reach um we'll probably talk about that a little bit in the next segment but what what is the switch there because obviously robinson only played 26 minutes but his gravity is a constant factor something i've brought up on a number of occasions so you have to have as you just pointed out as well somebody constantly staying with him limiting his his easy looks because if not he is going to catch fire and he's so dangerous for the three ball He doesn't need much time to get that shot off. And so you could easily have a one of four night like he did in game one, or he could go seven of eight as he did against the Indiana Pacers in game two. So that's a concern for any opponent. Is it having Matthews switch on to Robinson and then have Middleton pick up Butler? Because I'm not sure you want Chris Middleton getting into the likely foul trouble that comes with guarding at Jimmy Butler. Although I, I think Matthews only picked up two fouls overall. So as you pointed out, he was doing a really good job of limiting Jimmy. Well, maybe not limiting, but at least challenging Jimmy in the first half, which is always a, a something that you want to be able to at least challenge him and not have him get the, the kind of looks that he did in the second half.
0: Yeah, I don't think you can afford to take Matthews off of Butler. Um, we saw what happens uh, if you do that in the second half, and particularly the fourth quarter of Game 1. And I think Eric Bledsoe is a guy who, going into this series, and we're not sure of his status. I mean, his hamstring injury really kind of crept up out of nowhere for Bucks folks. I mean, he was on the injury report the day before the game, and then all hamstring of a sudden... Hamstring awareness.
1: Was, Shout out hamstring awareness.
0: Yeah, hamstring awareness, whatever the hell that means. I'm not aware of what hamstring awareness is exactly but it's it kept Eric Bledsoe out of a game so it must be at least a little serious I I think it's not supposed to be very serious but we'll see um you know when he's able to to play again and if he's limited at all but I expected he might be a good guy for Robinson because his specialty is getting through those screens and just not letting players get clean jumpers Mm -hmm. but honestly after how well Goran Dragic played especially in the first half I think Bledsoe is going to be needed to try and stick with him make his life a little harder because The mid-range looks, Dragic was getting both his kind of leaning floater, either off glass or straight in, or on the more typical pull-up twos. That's the kind of shot Eric Bledsoe can make a lot harder, and George Hill just was not able to. And Dragic carried Miami's offense outside of transition and and points off turnovers in the first half. So I think think you kind of have to keep Chris on Duncan Robinson and just hope he doesn't run out of gas again. I think this is the the Achilles heel of not playing anybody more than 30 minutes all regular season. And of course the bubble adds more complexity, but the bucks didn't really play their guys in the seating games as much either. Now that they are playing 37 minutes, 38 minutes, they do look a little bit more gassed and I think they probably should.
1: So that's interesting. I I would have thought, I mean, if Bledsoe does, let's say he comes in a game two, that he would probably be able to stay with Robinson, and then Middleton on drag. It seems like a matchup that would be harder for Goron to exploit, just because of his overall size and length and things of that sort. That he would not be able to get the same kind of shots. Again. Uh, the challenge would be to try to get Middleton into foul trouble, but you would expect that Middleton would stay on Robinson moving forward, even if Bledsoe does return to the lineup. I think a lot of people imagine that Bledsoe would go on, uh, come into the game and challenge Goron defensively, but you think he, he would still uh, – or he would stay on Goron and then leave Middleton on, on Robinson? I, I thought it would be the other way around.
0: No, I, I do think that's what it's going to be, and I almost wonder. And this will, this will, <laughs> this will tee off the people who are very upset about the players. Giannis guards even more. But one other idea is you could put Giannis on Duncan Robinson while he's out there, and the the issue there is Giannis tends to wander way too far away from guys. So I don't yeah. know if that's a good look. That,
1: but that would, that, yeah, that would get burnt. I think. I, I think. Yeah. Or again, Duncan doesn't need much time to get that shot off. So if if you're going to sag off him for even a, a second you're going to exploit you get you know, he's going to find a way to exploit that with a, a long shot
0: yeah so i mean it's it just it seems ideal just with Giannis's length and athleticism like if Giannis really was dedicated to sticking with duncan robinson i mean the screens might give him some trouble but he's just so long and strong he th- he might seem like a good candidate for that and just switch i, I think middleton will do fine on crowder who really is most of his offense is just going to be taking wide open shots anyway um, but I, I just the way honest actually plays in reality outside of the, the basketball vacuum, some of us, I think, get a little bit stuck in sometimes when we think about these things. I don't think it would actually work very well. I think then you would see a big Duncan Robinson game that the Bucks seem very much that they
1: don't want to have happen. All right. We'll talk a little bit more about what you saw as far as positive from the Miami and Milwaukee side in the next segment. This is Ty Windish of the Eurostep, and you're listening to Locked on Heat. were the positives from the Milwaukee side of things? I think, obviously, Chris Middleton had a pretty good first half, tapered off a little bit in the second half, but you got a really strong offensive showing from Brooke Lopez. I mean, he played as well as he possibly could defensively. Uh, I mean, you, got, you mentioned Marvin Williams in the previous segment. Was there anything else that stood out to you as far as overall positives from the Milwaukee side of things?
0: Yeah, I think, funny enough, most of their players outside of Giannis, their core players – Continued to play pretty well. I mean, Lopez and Middleton in particular, way too quiet in the second half. I think they're going to need to step up and have more complete performances. Part of that for Brooke was he just didn't play all that much. He gets up to four fouls early in the third quarter. And I think tough calls, but I think both of them could have gone either way and probably were leading more toward go to Brooke. So he needs to be a little more aware of that. Because I think a lot of people are tempted to look at this team and look at Brooke Lopez and go, oh, you just scheme him off the floor, and that's fine. The Bucs can just go Giannis at the center position, which they actually used really more like Marvin Williams at the center, which I think – I really hope they avoid that. I think Marvin Williams is a good player. I don't think he should ever be purposefully guarding Bam Adebayo, who's just too big and strong. But um, Brook but Lopez is just good. I mean, he's really good like he showed it in the first half, even when he's not making ridiculous buzzer-beating step-back threes to get the Bucks 40 points in a quarter, which he did in the first quarter. He's just a really good player, and I think if Miami does end up going to Autobio to guard Giannis um, one-on-one, which they haven't had to yet, Jay Crowder has held it down, and and their team defense has held it down. But if they go there, Brooke being able to take advantage of a smaller guy guarding him could be big for Milwaukee. We haven't actually seen him in that position yet, but he's just a really skilled player on both ends. Obviously integral to what they do on defense as a rim protector and and paint deterrent, even when he does get stretched out a little bit, but against out of bio i think he's a little little more in his comfort zone on defense even though bam was making some really nice jumpers i didn't expect that from him that was impressive to me but I, yeah i just think it was positive to see most of the core players play well outside of Giannis. it just like a couple tweaks and you could picture milwaukee bouncing back really strong in game two at least we're not seeing like chris middleton looking terrible like he did in some of the orlando games so that there's positive. Some guys played well. They just need to put it together and, and play a lot more cohesively and play the guys who played well more, quite honestly.
1: Well, two points. Bam has been letting that jumper fly with more regularity. And the Pacers series, I believe it began in the Pacers series, although it might date back to the actual eight seeding games. Ever since he came back, from the long hiatus, it seemed like he was much more willing to let that shot fly a little bit, uh, just on occasion. It's not like he's going to be spacing the floor with any sort of regularity. But one of the criticisms, of, at least I've had, of Adebayo is that his back-to-the-basket game is virtually non-existent. He's too uncontrolled uh, when, he, when he puts his, the ball down and tries to force his way. Even once he get, when he gets a switch on a smaller defender, he, there's a good chance that he's not going to be able to finish at the basket as well as a, a player of his skill should. So it was nice to see him kind of let that jumper fly and to be able to knock it down, obviously, at least from Heat fans' perspective. It's a a welcome addition to a great overall player that has made an impact in a number of different ways. And then secondly, you brought it up, the points in the paint. That was a surprising factor for me, given that Lopez is such an, an incredible rim protector that you have so many other long defenders like Middleton and Adetokounmpo. 42 points in the paint. What what was the secret there that you saw as far as what Miami was able to do to exploit Milwaukee's defense?
0: Yeah, great point. I think that really ended up determining the game. Milwaukee only has 24 to Miami's 42. That's not a good um, transposing for the Bucks. They, they need to be on the bigger end of that, especially with the honest down low. Um, to me, it didn't look like – like I don't think it was Miami's so good that they're just beating Brooke Lopez. It's going to happen sometimes, but – a lot of that felt like it came in that third quarter when Brooke was out of the game for most of the quarter. And again, you're having still even at this point, and honest was in quote-unquote foul trouble in the first half with three fouls. He ends with three fouls. So it didn't really get any worse. But the Bucks were using Marvin Williams as the de facto center on Bam Adebayo. Even though he didn't score a ton, he facilitated a lot and opened up lanes for other players. And Marvin Williams, like I mentioned, as good as he is at what he does, what he does is not like drop coverage as a center. I mean, he's a perimeter defender. He's a he's a big wing, and he was playing more like a center, which I think Giannis in that position would work a lot better at deterring some of those paint points. I think the other big driving be- fa- factor behind all the paint scoring was all of those turnovers, especially in the second quarter. I mean, it's really hard for Brook Lopez to do a lot uh, about the paint points when he's like at half court and someone's scoring at the rim because – Wes Matthews or Chris Middleton or Giannis or Kyle Korver turn the ball over and it's a live ball turnover and like Jimmy Butler or whoever is just like taking off and gone so I think the Bucks really just need to clean up the turnovers take away those easy points Mm -hmm. and also like don't play Marvin Williams as the nominal five it's it's not going to work
1: well I have to bring it up just because I think it was the the biggest takeaway at least from Miami's side of things Jimmy Butler an incredible mm. performance. I don't know that you can talk enough about what he did. Uh, that that second half was as good as I, we've seen from any player in, in playoff history here in South Florida. What was your feeling watching that game? Like he just seemed like he was well, he was unsolvable. And quite honestly, I, I just don't know that it would have mattered who, if either met West Matthews or somebody else. I don't know if, who could have guarded Butler considering the the difficulty, the degree of difficulty of those shots that he was taking and the frequency with which he was hitting them. Any takeaways from Butler's overall performance?
0: I mean, first, just to, and I like to go out of my way to do this because I don't, I really don't want to be the quote unquote Bucks guy who always just like, I know, you know, said the Bucks like choked it away and that's the only reason they lost. Gotta take, tit the cat to Jimmy Butler. Like you said, phenomenal performance. Looking like Kawhi Leonard out there, just like rising up from every position, whether it was standstill, on the move jumpers, getting to the rim. He did it all in that fourth quarter, and he's hitting tough shots. And, like, I don't think Chris Middleton entirely blew it on him. I think, like you said, anyone outside of maybe Giannis, who I would like to see the Bucks break the glass more on Giannis being a primary defender, especially in a situation like this where, like I said, he's in foul trouble early. We're in the last couple minutes. He's got a couple fouls before he fouls out. And like, either way, like, what are you saving him for? If you're going to let Jimmy hit all these butlers or <laughs> Jimmy hit all these butlers, maybe we should call them butlers. Now, Jimmy hit all these jumpers. <laughs> the game's going to be over anyway. So you're not, you're not saving honest for anything useful there. The fouls don't roll over like cell phone minutes used to. So really. Um, but again, like I was going, but when I started this, before I got in another um, coaching decision, diatribe, just really impressive shot making from Jimmy Butler, the kind of thing that, based on how he played all season, it didn't seem like he was still, I don't want to say capable of, but it just didn't seem like what he was doing. I mean, he played like a juiced Michael Carter Williams for a lot of the season, right? Like, great i mean much better than I mean, that's why i said juice i think people are going to take that as disrespect but i just mean like he wasn't relying on his no, we're
1: all aware we're all aware that jimmy's jumper has been broken I, i've attributed a lot of that due to injury i think he's kind of downplayed a nagging wrist injury that has been much more impactful he's also had some lingering foot and ankle issues that have taken away some of his mobility to watch him in the locker room after games is to see a man that looks like he's obviously going through a lot of pain and doesn't want anybody to see it that's just my take on things i'm not reporting it and the heat are notoriously uh play close to the vest when it comes to injuries and things of that sort so i mean they're gonna they're gonna trot you out there unless you're missing a leg and even then they might still get you a few minutes here and there um so i i I just he has been sharper uh you know i can't say that this was something that we're going to see with much regularity i I don't think we're going to see this level of Jimmy at any point in the Milwaukee series, as much as we can all say, Oh my God, he's going to do this frequently from now on. I, I can't bet on that. I, I wouldn't feel comfortable saying that that's going to happen just because I, I've never really seen this level of Jimmy this year. It's nice to know that it's capable, that he's, he's capable of reaching this point. Moreover though, he still finds ways of, of being effective, whether it's getting to the rim and getting shots there or, or pulling up over smaller defenders or, getting to the line, which he did 13 times against the Bucks, I, I think he's still going to find a way to contribute, slow the pace of the game down when it when it benefits Miami to do so. And if that's the case, he's still going to have an impact. I just don't know that we're going to see this kind of incredible offensive explosion the way we did in game one. So, I mean, there's mm-hmm. so many good things to take away from this. I guess my, my, my feeling is that Milwaukee's going to find a way to bounce back uh, in game two. If you had to put a guess on on what happens in game two to start the the that matchup how does milwaukee respond uh, knowing that they got beat pretty well pretty badly in game one i think
0: you're going to see defensively the the a kind of bucks performance that's a little bit shocking to people they, they haven't brought it as much with enough regularity which i think if the bucks do end up coming short of winning a championship which is obviously their goal this season and should be i think that's when you have a guy like Giannis and you win on pace to win nearly 70 games, that, that should be the obvious goal. But um, I think it'll be their consistency because they'll, they, at flashes, they'll play like the best team in the league by far. And then for way too often, they look just completely disjointed and almost disinterested like they did yesterday or Monday. I, I don't know. I, I'm guessing this will not drop on Tuesday. So I, I got to say Monday or game one, um, but a l- little inside baseball there. But, I think the defensive end, I think we're going to see some lockdown defense from the Bucks, and I don't think much is going to change schematically. Bledsoe would be a huge addition if he's healthy, but I just think that they have different levels of being locked in. So, like, I don't want to compare the two Florida teams because I know one is much better than the other, but the Bucs absolutely just, like, put Orlando's offense in a complete chokehold in the start of game two after that tough loss in game one. I think we're going to see a similar thing where – they really all just play hard as hell and, and make it really hard for Miami to score, which begs the question, like, why not do that almost all the time? And it's right. a great question. And I think it's one the Bucks should really grapple with and try to figure out very, very soon because you can only say, you know, they just need to play better so many times until they don't have any more chances to play better because their runs over. So I think that's how we'll see it start. I think that we'll see some great defense. We'll see if they hold it throughout the game. I mean, I will say, this is one it feels like they absolutely need to win. I don't think they can afford to go down 0-2 here. All the all the noise that will generate in addition to just the challenge of beating this Heat team four times now in in six games is really really difficult. So, yeah, I think uh I think they they know they need to win. I think we're going to see that in their game. But again, it's like it begs the question, why don't we see that more often when you don't have your back to the wall? And it's a tough hard question the Bucks are going to need to answer very soon.
1: Well, We all know that you're capable of answering the tough hard question. You've been a great sport for coming on the show today. I know we had agreed to this prior to a a disappointing game one at least for the Milwaukee side of things and for your your willingness to come on to the show and answer those tough questions I am very grateful as I'm sure my listeners are please do me a favor and do my listeners a favor tell them where they can listen to your great words and and read some of your great work although I don't know that you've been writing as much lately I think you 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 had some some plans in the works that I don't want to hint at too much but uh, all good (laughs) things for somebody who certainly deserves it uh, thank you so much for the kind words,
0: David. But I did start a a little sub stack that's gonna be very uh very in-between, very hidden. I don't even have a URL for that, but I share it and everything else I do on Twitter um at Tywindish, T-I-W-I-N-D-I-S-C-H. And for the most, the bulk of my bucks, content outside of tweets, check out the podcast, the Eurostep, that's G-Y-R-O-STEP. Obviously a Giannis reference, uh, myself and Rohan Coti, my tremendous co-host. Really hoping we don't have to update the name for a very, very long time. Um, so hopefully you'll find the Euro step for years and years to come. But yeah, that's that's the bulk of my content right there. I'm on most social platforms as well, just at my name. So just pull it up wherever. Probably they're doing something or other. But uh, thank you very much for for having me. And, you know, we pod after every single game. We did a rewatch and pod of every playoff game last year, including the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, which, of course, did not go well for the Bucks after games one and two. You know, win or lose, we're going to break it down and have a little bit of fun as much as we can along the way just because, I, I don't know, I mean, that's that's the job, and it, it's at the end of the day, it's basketball, and I think you got to be able to handle it if the team doesn't do as well. Certainly as a Wisconsin sports fan, you learn that pretty quickly.
1: Well, I'm sure – Uh, Well, I'm not sure, but I hope we have the opportunity to talk again because it's always great to catch up with you and to get a different perspective from somebody who follows that team much more closely. Uh, I appreciate your insight as always. So thank you again for coming on and and taking the time to be on the show. Uh, For all of you who are listening, be sure to subscribe and follow this podcast to get the latest episode of Locked on Heat as soon as it's out. I'm David Ormel, signing off and thanking you as always for your support. I um. not